Hello and welcome back to Rocket Pod. Joining us from Montreal today is Brendan Karasami. Brendan actually is a YouTuber, author and public speaking coach. He joined the world of VC at 21 and has since founded Master Talk and has millions of subscribers as folks learn how to hone their communication skills. Really excited to have Brendan join us today. His energy is contagious and selfishly I'd like to learn some tips and tricks about public speaking and how to better communicate. Welcome, Brendan. Thank you, man. It's good to be here. Without further ado, why don't we start right at the very beginning, Brendan? So, I so so where are you, so you're um you're on the U.S. East Coast. Take us right back to your upbringing. You know, where did you grow up? Can you give us a flavor of I guess your time as a as a young boy and maybe your first introduction to entrepreneurship? And then, how on earth did you get into the public speaking arena? And and uh, then we can kind of um, yeah kind of drill down into we'll start 50,000 feet and then kind of come down to reality and see if we can get into some of the nitty-gritty stuff if that makes sense so I'm going to stop talking um and yeah take take us right back Brendan where, where are you from yeah absolutely James happy to man so I, I'm based in Montreal Canada which is a few hours from New York City and that's where I was I, I was born and I'm still based today that's where the story begins and for those who don't know Montreal is a city where you need to know how to speak French that's how the how the system works there where if you want to do well in business, you want to get a great job, you need no language. So I had a big problem, James, which is I did not know the language. So my parents sent me to French school at a younger age because they wanted me to learn it. So, of course, that was a great, great move on their part. I speak three languages today. But my whole life was a mess because not only was I scared of presentations, I had to present in a language I didn't even know. So when I was in first, mm. second, third grade, I would look at the teacher and go, uh, bonjour. And that was my life pretty much growing up as a kid. And I'm more the second type of entrepreneur, you know, in regards to your question. So I've, I've always believed there's kind of like two types of entrepreneurs. The first one is the born entrepreneur. So think Gary Vaynerchuk, Mark Cuban are, are good examples of born entrepreneurs where they, it's in their blood. Like they grow up uh, selling lemonade at lemonade stands. They pick out flowers out of people's houses and sell it back to them. Like that's they run illegal candy shops in high school. Like some people are just born to do this. I'm definitely category two, James, in the sense that mm-hmm. I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. That was never the game for me. The game for me was to work at McKinsey and Company and be a management consultant and make a ton of money. That was really the, the point. So I went to business school. And then when I went to business school, I, I did these things called case competitions. Think of it like professional sports, but for nerds, kind of like hackathons for the business world. Brilliant. So, well, so while other guys my age were playing, yeah, while other guys my age were playing rugby or footy or cricket, I was doing presentations competitively, and that's how I learned how to speak. And the idea for Mastock came out of that. Interesting. So growing up, was there a role model that perhaps um, was yeah had a big impact on you growing up? Uh, whether it's a friend, was it a parent? So so absolutely, I would say for role models. What what really helped me was my, definitely my mother was a big inspiration for my life. You know, she taught me to always keep things simple in life, you know, to always be a giver, to always be generous. And, but I would say besides her, most of my role models were mostly heroes. So let me give you a quick example on this. So Seth Godin says the difference between mentors and heroes is that mentors are people that help you that you have direct access to. And heroes are people that help you and you never meet them in your life or you hope to, but you never really meet them. So I've really mostly relied on heroes because I didn't really have that many mentors. You know, I, I came from a pretty low income family. I didn't really have access to people like you, like to people who are super talented, super ambitious. Like I didn't, I didn't really have any of that. Both of my parents worked in factories. So that, that was the, that was the goal. And I think what was interesting about my era James, which at the beginning of the dawn of the podcasting era, is I had access as a young kid to a lot of information. I could listen to podcasts with really successful people. And that's really I drew inspiration. Think of it like how my brain has a hundred or a thousand at this point, different little tape recorders spinning from different people's wisdom. And that's how I've been able to to gain a lot of the or mature a lot faster to do what I do today. Touch on a really good point that the the heroes and the mentors. So I think for those listeners out there, I mean, I think. Yeah, it's really good to seek out that wisdom. You know, if you don't have, I, I guess you to, to surround yourself with people with different skill sets. But if you if you can't if you don't have anyone 
within your network, then, you know, a, a, having a, you know, a great book or a podcast, you know, that's the next best thing, isn't it? And actually it makes me, so um, just for a, a bit of uh, just a little light bulb moment. So back in 2012, um, my family cashed out, we sold 95% of everything we owned. Um, there was a couple of startups that, uh, that I was involved with that failed. And the only way to finance a world trip was to literally liquidate everything. Um, so we sold everything. It was like a fire sale. And we were off the grid for about 18 months, uh, had three children, three daughters, uh, five, seven, nine at the time, homeschooled them, and we traveled around the world. And actually, we started off traveling across the US. During my time on the road, um, I was reflecting a lot about, um, you know, the people that had actually, uh, you know, made an impact on me or, or helped me along the way. And I, I actually came up with a love letter list. It, it kind of just reminded me, I haven't thought about this for ages. And I wrote a love letter list um, of people that I wanted to thank. Um, and I'll give you an example. So there was one guy, um, a pilot um, that was known to my family. And he, when I was 10 years old, he said to me, you know, James, you know, you can do anything you put your mind to. And, and that was a very different message to what I was hearing from my parents. My parents are wonderful people and they loved me very much. But my dad had always said, you know, know your limitations. But out of context, you know, that could be quite crushing potentially for, for a young person. And I know my dad, you know, he meant, I mean, I wasn't a brain surgeon, you know, I mean, there, there was some, some, uh, some real wisdom around why he said it. But actually, uh, Bob was the first person that actually said you could do anything you put your mind to. Um, and actually, I went back to him years later, and I, I thanked him. And I said, did you know, when I was 10 years old, you said this to me, and it stuck with me. Um, but you know, you can, you know, whether, whether you actually have someone like that in your life, I was fortunate enough to meet him. Um, you can find similar wisdom, you know, in books or podcasts or, you know, if you search for it. So, you know, you, you generally find what you search for. Um, and as you said, you've got these hundred different tapes spinning in your head. You know, every person you meet or every resource you have, it, it just provides a different tool. So just recognize that even your friends, you know, some friends are really good to, you know, cry on their shoulder. Other friends might give you really wise advice and other friends might, you know, inspire you to be an entrepreneur. So anyway, I think just recognizing you know, who these people are and, and, you know, comparison is a thief of joy. You know, you can't compare one to the other or, so it's just um, interesting. Anyway, thought I'd share that. Oh yeah. It's an amazing story, man. Thanks for sharing that as well. That was great. It's, it's those little moments, right? You never know. Like for me with my mom, it was this $10 bill I found in front of a bus stop that for me, 10, $10 back, that was ten, like $10,000. And the, I told my mom about it. The first thing she asked me was, did you take it from somebody else? Are you sure it's on somebody else's ten dollars? And then she t- mm-hmm. she goes on and tells me a story about she found twenty dollars once a few years ago, and she used it to feed a family, even if she didn't have any mm-hmm. money. And mm-hmm. she didn't say it to teach me a lesson. She just said it like, uh, "Oh, like the sky is blue and the clouds are in the sky." Same thing, right? Because how my mom mm-hmm. is, but it always stuck with me. So it's those little moments that really make a mark on you. Yeah, they they do. And actually, when when you look back at your life, you know, it is the little moments. Um, that we remember, you know, and they're little highlights. Um, but I think taking some time out to reflect and um, and think about, you know, I mean, I think gratitude is definitely in short supply and just appreciating um, these moments and these people that we meet along the way. So, um, okay, so you mentioned uh, that you, you grew up in a relatively low-income household. Um, your mum was really inspiring. Um, you basically had to learn a, a second language, French, um, um, and then you kind of got into these these competitions to really kind of hone your your skill as a presenter. But you said that when you first started, you were terrified. Well, from what I understand, um, you were pretty terrified about standing up and and speaking to you know to a crowd of of new people. Maybe, maybe I picked that up on YouTube. I'm not I'm not sure. Can can you walk through the process? So uh, for, for those folks out there that have never stood up um, and done any public speaking. Um, is there a, can you kind of break it down into some just kind of maybe some tips and tricks or, you know, from your experience, you know, how was it when you started versus after you kind of honed your skill? I know there's a lot to probably unpack there, but. Yeah, no, absolutely, James. To keep things simple, I think what I realized before and after is, you know, at the beginning, because I didn't really have a coach, I didn't really have any resources or there wasn't really anything out there. I, I was mostly doing it trial and error. Right. So I was just trying a bunch of stuff. A lot of it wasn't working. And then, of course, later on, I think the reason I, I, was, I got really successful at communication was because, uh, because I had a strong motivation. I really wanted to win these competitions. So I initially mm-hmm. okay. started because 
oh yeah, like I could get a job. But then after that, I just got obsessed with them. Kind of like the Michael Jordan nobody gives a shit about. That's kind of what I call myself. In the <laughs> sense that Michael Jordan, you know, basketball, people know what that is. He was crazy with his teammates. I was the same way in university, but for a sport that no one really pays much attention to, which is presentations. But to your question about how do you transition from A to B, how do you go from I'm really scared about communication to, oh, I love this. So there's a couple of things. I would say the first thing that people need to start journaling for themselves is the answer to the following question. And the question is very simple, but not easy. How would your life change if you're an exceptional communicator? How would your life change if you were an exceptional communicator? It's a question not many people know about or ask themselves because a lot of communication is tied to anxiety. It's tied to negativity. It's tied to stress. Not the best way to learn something. So instead, we need to start focusing on the benefits of what communication can give us. It allows us to amplify a message on a podcast. It allows us to build relationships. It's every interaction with every human being we'll ever meet in our lives. So once we start to find that personal reason, why is mastering communication a must for us? As Tony Robbins says, if something is not a must, it'll never happen. That's what creates that burning desire to go into the tactics. But the beginning starts with that point. Well, that, that's quite powerful, actually, what you just said. Uh, I think, um, yeah, wow. I mean, I guess we all have to communicate. My, my children are very good negotiators. It's almost like when we're, when we're, when we're, when we're children, you know, we can pretty much find any way to get what we want. Um, and then we kind of lose it a little bit in adulthood. It's almost like because, you know, children are very just fluid and natural and they know, you know, they're hungry or, you know, sorry, just made me, made me think of that. So I guess you can achieve anything if, if you can communicate you can literally achieve anything. Right. I think another way of thinking about this is like to write down all of your goals. Everyone who's listening to this, like what are your top three priorities in life? Is it to build a family? Is it to start a business? Is it to grow business? Is it to get a promotion at work? It doesn't really matter what the priority is, but once you write those three goals down, just write down next to it, how does communication play a role? And you'll realize that it plays a role into everything. Because if you're if you have a health related goal, you might go, oh, that doesn't matter. Yeah, it does. Because you're communicating your practice routines, your diets, your your exercises to your accountability buddies, to your coach, to your trainers, to your friends. If you have a finance related goal, you're talking with your accountants, you're talking with your significant other. You're always communicating. There's always a layer of how communication impacts your goals. And once we start to understand that link. That's when we start to go, oh, my God, I need to implement everything that James and Brennan are talking about in this podcast. So actually, you touched on something that I hadn't actually thought about before. So my interpretation of what you just said, or one, I guess, one takeaway would be that um, if we do give ourselves a moment of pause to reflect of actually, so we have to communicate to ourselves what we want and, and have a good understanding, you know, in of ourselves. Um, and then have that as a plan, as a springboard to kind of then use that to then communicate to achieve our goals. So unless we actually stop and pause and reflect on what maybe the desired outcomes we're looking to achieve, then can we then use our communication to actually achieve those goals? Because I think part of the theme of this podcast, as I mentioned, um, you know, these visionary uh, human beings that we speak to, it's like, how do you take an idea and put that idea into reality? And I think communication plays a really you know key role there um but it all starts with ourselves um you know because we, we can decide i mean okay we, we are not our thoughts that's a separate conversation but actually i do believe that if it's in our mind then we can do it and uh <laughs> so it's kind of interesting oh yeah and and especially on the topic of visionaries I was about to call you Rocket, James. Well, you can call me Rocket. <laughs> rocket. I keep saying Rocket Father. But, but absolutely, James, right? Is the biggest mistake visionaries make, in my opinion, unless you're like Steve Jobs and Elon Musk, mm-hmm. is guess. They guess. They mm-hmm. guess what the people they want to serve actually want. And I think that's a really stupid way of approaching it, to be quite direct here. Don't guess. Ask them questions. Get to know them, have dinner with them. Communication is an essential part of that interaction. When I started Master Talk, James, I didn't know what the product was going to look like. I had no clue. I st- I'm still working on it. I have no idea. And by product, I don't just mean the coaching. I, I specifically mean the YouTube channel. People ask me all the time, well, how could you keep talking about communication? Like, don't you run out of stuff eventually? Like, filler words, okay, ums and ahs, pausing. Like, what else is there to it? 
I didn't make this stuff up. I just asked the people around me, what questions do you have about communication? And they would go like, how do you present in a second language? And I was like, shit, I don't think anyone's made a YouTube video of that before. Boom. So that's I don't guess, right? And that's really the key, right? Whether you're building a tech technology product, whether you're starting a service-based business, whether you're creating a nonprofit, the biggest mistake, especially from a communication perspective, is we guess. Oh, what, mm-hmm. what do people want? No, don't guess. Just ask them. Ask the right questions. Listen to them and communicate effectively to make sure you clearly understood them so you can build what they want. Yeah. And actually, I'm guilty as charged. I mean, you know, I read the Lean Startup. <laughs> I knew I had to ask my customers what they wanted. <laughs> um, but then, of course, you know, I introduced things that maybe too soon and learn the hard way and and spend a lot of money and kind of fixing the problem but uh it, it is a, it's so simple but yet so yeah a lot of people overlook it including myself but you know but i guess unless you do things you can't you know you do hopefully learn by your mistakes um yeah so so ask your okay so yeah ask good questions and you'll get you'll get the right answers well you'll get the answers won't you um absolutely think- it's so it's so simple that nobody does it that's alex or Moses quote. <laughs> So what question would you like me to ask you? What question would you like me to ask you? Interesting. Uh, I would say in the context of, since you're talking to visionaries, maybe what's my vision for Master Talk would be a good question. Yeah, fantastic. Okay. So Brendan, what's your, what's your vision for Master Talk? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you're so funny. <laughs> That's right. You're so funny. So, so for me, you know, I think what a lot of people misunderstand about my work is, is they think like I'm just some coaching business that's trying to get clients. I mean, sure, that's, that's part of it. But I would say that the bigger vision to what I'm trying to do, why I quit corporate, why I took half a salary when I, when I made that decision back then was because I wanted to, I think the next Elon Musk is a seven-year-old girl, James, who can't afford a communication coach. Like, think about it, bro. When Elon Musk was 15 years old, nobody cared about who Elon Musk was. Nobody supported that person. Nobody said, hey, like, you should probably work on your communication skills when he had time to actually do. Now he has no time. I'd coach him free now if he called me, which he won't, obviously, because he doesn't care at this point. But when he was, (laughs) right, you never know. But when he was 15 years old, nobody, nobody cared. And, and I think what shocked me is like, I'm not the first communication coach to land on planet earth here. Like there's this, yeah, sure. I, I don't, I, I think I'm pretty good at what I do, but you know, there's people who are just as talented as I am in the world. There's 7 billion of us, 8 billion of us. Why didn't anyone d- create this free content for the world before me? Like, it's not hard. You just put a, invest a few, you know, a few multiple fil- five figures in production. Like it's not a million dollars here. And, and what I realized, James, is the reason most people don't do it in my space is because you can make a lot of money as a communication coach. And, and, and I do well for myself. I'm not the exception to the rule here. But I think the point I want to drive is if you're making money, you should at least like, create resources for people who can't afford you. Like, so they can learn from you and, and put a lot of time and effort into that. So I, I just got really worried about every other Elon Musk that was going to come after me for the rest of humanity. Like none of them had any access to free communication tools. So that's my grander vision is how do I help every human being, every genius that's ever going to live and give them access to the tools that I wish I had growing up as a kid. Okay. Well, that is a big hairy ass goal, isn't it? B-H-A-G. That's your moonshot. That's a, that's a really um, worthy purpose. So that's your why then. What is your why? Your why is to, I mean, obviously you're looking to do things on a, on a grand scale. Would you answer it different? It would probably be something similar, but I would say something like empower every genius of our society to be exceptional communicators. Like if every genius, right? Because most of them aren't great communicators. Like they're PhDs and AI, they're, you know, scientists in molecular biology. They all suck at communication, if I'm being real with you. So if all of them were exceptional, all of the best ideas would get heard. Because the problem is you have all of these innovators. That's why I started Mass Talk, by the way. It was because I, I mostly just made videos. It was never a business back then. So essentially what happened here, James, was I was a venture capitalist when I was 20, 21 years old. And how that worked out was I was a manager of like a student run fund. We would fund a lot of student tech startups because a lot of the okay. GPs, general partners, excuse me, it's a bit too technical, who would run venture capital funds. Uh, a, lot of biz, a lot of these startups start in universities, Snapchat, Facebook, et cetera. 
but they don't have time to manage that deal flow. It's like students, they have too much inbound. So they get students like me to go into these universities and source deals for them and write them small checks. But what I realized when coaching a lot of these founders is helping them. A lot of them were really, really strong at building their stack, really good at building product, terrible at communicating their ideas to the world. There's a huge gap, but they also couldn't afford a communication coach because they hadn't raised their seed round yet. So when I realized that was a gap, that's why I said, oh, crap, like that's really my why is how do I become the first human being in human history to democratize communication in a way that even the most technical person in the world, even the most detailed expert in the world can easily learn communication overnight. Mm. That's really, yeah, that is really interesting. Yeah, because some of these intellectuals are just on a different plane. I, I work with a, a person in the US that was a master chess champion, um, captain in the Navy, you know. Um, he was so intelligent, but most people couldn't understand him because he, he, he was like leagues ahead of everybody else. And, and I worked with him just to kind of deconstruct, like pull out these little gold nuggets and try and put it into a format that, that could be understood because he was, you know, one of these geniuses, geniuses. Um, and uh, yeah, so I could relate to that a little, that, that's been my experience. So how do you find these geniuses? So you, I mean, you, you bring a good point. These young people, you know, how do you, how do you identify genius? And also you, you, I, do, I have to ask another question. How do you, you know, for those out there, how can you, how did you get to, you know, be writing checks at 21 in the VC world? I mean, I, I think you, you touched on it with, you know, it's these university, grads that have great ideas and but that, I mean that, that's that's quite an achievement in, in of itself because we do have we do have a lot of young listeners so yeah absolutely James so you just asked me two questions that no I one's did. ever asked me which which I love no I, I that was a compliment to you not a bad not an insult <laughs> that was amazing you just asked me two brilliant questions I've literally been on hundreds of podcasts no one's even digging into this I love it I love it so <laughs> a couple of things so so the first thing really quick on the VC point then let's get to that because that's the question I asked myself last week and I'll give you my answer so far but it's definitely not perfect so the, the first piece around the VCs so a, a lot long story short, I just got lucky so basically what happened was there's a fund in the U.S. called Dorm Room Fund that's run by a venture capital firm called First Round Capital. And they started this. And the Canadian version of that, my guy named Rafael, he copied what Dorm Room Fund did, but for Canada. Hmm. But he started in Montreal. And I just happened to live in Montreal, right? So that's how. So I just heard about the opportunity. I just applied for it. And there wasn't a lot of competition, because like nobody really knows what venture capital is in, in Montreal, especially when you're 21. And I and I read Zero to One. I read it like Ben Horowitz's book. Oh, I like that I was, one. Yeah, Peter Thiel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's my Bible, literally, on how yeah. how I go about things. So I just read a bunch of these startup books. I was an accounting major, but I was working at Price Waterhouse Coopers. I had no idea what tech world is, and I kind of uh, seduced them into into just taking me as one of their <laughs> one of their VC people. Because most of the people that I was partnered with. Like from all of, it's basically like they pick people from each of the universities. Like I would, for my university, they picked one. I was that person for another school. They would pick, and all of them were like PhDs, masters in neurology, neuro, neuro biochemistry, all the crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was like, shit, how did I get here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A lot of these guys are really deep tech. I was like, okay, this is intimidating, but, but yeah. So, so that's what happened with that. I just got lucky. And, and just so people know, this wasn't my personal money here. We were investing out of a fund. So it was like a 600K fund that Real Ventures, an early seed, uh, seed VC fund in Canada, was kind of issuing out of, their, out of the $30 million orbit fund. But anyways, it was like How a fun. test. It How worked. Fun. It worked really well, yeah. actually. A lot of those we, startups we, did well. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're naturally curious. Um, and I think it's, it's really fun wrapping your head around stuff that you've never really been exposed to. So, I mean, I, you know, I enjoy that myself. Um, but it must have been a really you know, rewarding and and you know fun, intellectually stimulating time in your life, and, and you know, and you did it at twenty one, which is it's amazing. Um, so I know I asked you another question, but yeah, you know, do you believe in luck? Because you've said luck, you've probably said it about four times, four or five times. Um, because I'm not sure I believe in luck, um, but do you believe in luck? Because you you did mention it. Yeah, I, I'm definitely a big believer in luck, but. Uh, in 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 a way that's more palpable than most. So what do I mean by that? So when it comes to luck, I mean, look, there's a lot of things I couldn't control, James, in the sense that I, I just so happen to be born in Montreal. I have I start with the Canadian passport. I was the first generation in my entire lineage of Sri Lankan, I guess, boys and gals 
to, to, to be born in a first world country. You can't, you can't uh, control that. Another piece is I just so happy to be born in Montreal. I just so happy to go to Concordia where they have the world's largest case competition program in the world. And that's how I developed my expertise. I learned 30 years of communication knowledge in like three because I had presented okay. like 400 times. There's, okay, the reps I could control. But going to that university, I mean, I didn't even know that what case competitions were. So definitely a lot of it's luck, but not all of it is either, right? There's, I obviously work like a dog, like I'm sure you do. So, so what's the balance? The balance is, and I got this from a book called The Third Door by Alex Benayan. Mm, and, and, yeah. and what Alex said, it's what he basically interviewed a lot of important people. And one guy was like the, one of the ex- uh, presidents of Microsoft. He's like one of Satya Nadella's right-hand men. For those who know, Satya Nadella is the CEO of Microsoft. And I forgot what his name is, honestly. But he said something so good. He said, luck is like a bus. So when you're at a bus stop, it's always going to come. But if you don't have the money in the pocket, you can't go into the bus and pay the fare. And I love what he said there, because if you're prepared, when luck shows up, you can get into that bus and ride the wave. But if you're not prepared, because we all get lucky in life, there's always lucky moments, lucky breaks. But if we're not prepared for those moments, it's not going to work. And the example that he gave was he was he was born in like the ruralest parts of China, super poor. But, you know, he but he went to this university. I think he went to Tsinghua. I forgot which one it was. And he was doing a, a paper on AI and machine learning. And one of the professors from Carnegie Mellon was speaking at his university, but it was raining. So there wasn't a lot of people at that room. And somebody told him, a friend told him about it. He got really lucky. And he just said, oh, let me use that opportunity. So he went to that professor. He talked to them. And that's how he got a full ride scholarship to Carnegie and it completely changed his life. But here's the punchline that he said in that podcast, James, is if I'd never had that paper written, if I'd never done the research, I wouldn't have impressed that professor. So when luck shows up, you need to be ready for it. So that's my balanced perspective on it. Okay, that's interesting. I, ha- I hadn't heard that perspective. Me neither. You, I think there is a degree, you know, <laughs> you do, you know, there's a degree of you, you do make your own luck. And plus, you've got to recognize that that is a bus, you know, it might be disguised as something else. <laughs> it's, uh, that's interesting. I think this would be a good segue to introduce our sponsor, Flexi. I'd like to take a moment uh, to introduce you to our amazing sponsor, Flexi. These days, we have multiple subscriptions from streaming services to gift boxes and much more. Discover Flexi's unique subscription marketplace sourced from independent British brands, from organic beauty products, cocktail kits, and responsibly sourced coffee to plant-based meals, gift boxes, and much more. Whatever your passion, look forward to a regular box of joy delivered straight to your door. All easy to pause, cancel, or resume in a tap or two from one single dashboard. So give Flexi a try. It's free to download from the App Store or head over to www.flexiapp.uk. That's F-L-E-X-Y-A-P-P dot U-K. Now, back to our guest. So you mentioned Sri Lanka. So Sri Lanka just happens to be one of my favorite places in the world. Um, really? I probably spent about three months there. Um, and actually, I bought my, my wife um, has a, a Salon Sapphire that I actually bought off the guy that cut the stone. It took me about four days to buy it. And I kept getting my motorbike and driving off. And finally, I did a deal. So did you say you were born there? Is that where you were born? Or you? No, my, my parents were. My parents Your were. Your parents born. were. Okay. Okay. Were it Singalese or Tamil? Tamil. Yeah. Tamil. Okay. <laughs> it's really interesting because every Tamil, well, on my travels, um, I love the Tamil people. Singalese, I, I've, I've always, you know, they've got a lovely nature. and um, But I, I love Sri Lanka. Have you been back? Have you well? Have you been? I mean, you, you obviously weren't there, but I have. But you've definitely been more than I have. The last time I went was two thousand and three or four, so I was like eight years old or something, nine years old, and I never went back ever since. My my mom and my sister are going this year after like twenty years, uh, because we yeah. could finally afford it now that I do well financially. But <laughs> yeah, 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 so that, yeah. So my my parents haven't seen my mom specifically hasn't seen her family in a long time, so she's going this year. Oh, fantastic. Because I, I went all the way to Trincomalee when the war was going on. Um, and uh, it was just, I mean, I love it. I, I haven't actually taken my family, uh, but my wife does have a, a salon sapphire on her, you know, she's on her engagement hand. Uh, obviously, she's married. We're married now, too. She's got the wedding ring, too. So um, cool. Well, so you, you said you're going. You're going with your family then? I'm not, not, I'm not going not. with them. Oh. I'm going to focus on the business, but they're, they're going, yeah. Next time. Next time. Yeah. <laughs> No, special place. 
Um, cool. Okay, we've got that in common. It's always always good, isn't it? But but even what you just said there, James, is such a great example of luck. Like when I messaged you initially, I I thought you were just going to text me back and say, "Oh, this is my thoughts," and that was it. And you said, "Hey, let's grab a coffee." So I was like, "Yeah, sure." And then you get a coffee, and it just so happens that we just clicked, and it's just luck, right? So so I think the key is like you got to create that own luck. So sure, sure, part of it is oh, I went on the testimonial page, I saw your name and I just emailed, I messaged you like Simon, uh, Alexander and all the other guys on the page and you just so happen to be a really nice guy, right? You can't really control that. But I think it's mm-hmm. the key is, the key is you got to create your own luck. Yeah, and I, I think for, for me, I mean, I, I, I'm really motivated to, to add value. You know, I mean, as an entrepreneur, um, you know, I'd like to leave the world in a better place than I found it. And I think when you meet like-minded people you can always tell i think in a split second even the choices of words and again it comes back to communication doesn't it you know whether you feel you can actually do something valuable and even if it's just a one time let's just say that we do this podcast and and that's it well that's okay right but but maybe but maybe that you know other things other magic can happen so i think we said didn't we we want to create a bit of magic and you know add some value um, but it's been fascinating because you, you have brought some quite different perspectives. Um, and, you know, what's always worked really well for me is, is doing opposite to everyone else. Um, and the best example I can probably share on the podcast for that would be when I was selling my house in Maine to finance this world trip. There hadn't been a property sold in 18 months. It was a really tough time, like around 2012 time. Um, and everyone around me was putting their prices down on their houses. They were knocking 10 grand off or whatever. So, and I thought, well, I want to get the same attention. So I'm just going to put 10 grand a week on my house. So I started every week, I increased the value of my house by 10 grand. <laughs> and I created a bit of a buzz and, and I sold my house without a broker. Um, and then when it came to the sale, um, as we didn't have a broker, the bank appraised the property for 50,000 less than what, um, the, sorry, the bank appraised the property 50,000 less than what I agreed with the buyer. Um, and the buyer said to me on the phone, well, now we get to negotiate. <clears throat> and um, I said, well, I'll write your mortgage for the difference because <laughs> I needed that 50 grand to finance my trip. Um, and there was a 12 second silence. He coughed and came up with the money. So I'm just saying there's two things. So, you know, you can just because the bank won't lend, it doesn't mean to say you can't do a little legal agreement and agree the amortization, uh, you know, and the term. Right. And that's how in the old days before the banks, that's what people did. It's like, oh, I own a property. You want to buy it. You're a nice guy. I trust you. Do a legal agreement. If someone if you miss three payments, then, hey, I, I get the house back. I hang on to the deed until you pay me back anyway. Um, but, but putting the price up instead of down, you know, same result, right? <laughs> I love that, man. That's creative. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but a lot of the things you've said, of, you know, um, your view on luck, I know you picked it up from, from that author. Uh, but again, it, it's what sticks, isn't it? Because we can all read great stuff, but it's almost like when you read um, a book, a nonfiction book, um, whether it's business book or, you know, self-help book or whatever it is, there's little nugget, little gold nuggets you can take out to say, you know, what, I reject 90% of what this person's saying, or, or I already know it, but actually I'll take that one. And then that that's kind of mirrored to, to the value, you know, your core values as a human um, and how you like to conduct your life. So, so actually it's just, it, it's filling up these little gaps, isn't it? And, and they, that's the hundred wheels that are going around your head. You know, it comes down to that. These are the keepers, right? Um, oh, yeah. You know, and, and then and then we need to kind of throw away the things that are no longer relevant in our lives. So actually, on that subject, is there anything that you've learned re- in the last five years that you you knew to be true before, but you've now rejected and you've replaced it with something new when it comes to communication? Oh, when it comes to communication. Oh, that's interesting. So, So two parts to that. The first part was what you said earlier around rejecting information. There's a great quote by this by Patrick Collison, the CEO and founder of Stripe. And he said this so well. He says the best founders, and I don't just mean founders of companies. He meant it in that context. I mean it more in the context of founders of our life, like every human being, is that the best founders listen to everyone and ignore everyone all at the same time. So what does that mean? That means they listen to everyone's perspective and then ignore everyone's perspective and just follow their own 
kind of pers- unique way of seeing life after listening to every idea in the book. And I think that's such a beautiful way of living life. To your point, it's not about agreeing with someone 100%. It's about rejecting, I would even argue 99%, but taking two of the three nuggets from each of these human beings and then just plastering it all together in your own life and vision. So love that. And the other piece, what are some of the things that I used to believe about communication that are no longer true? I would say a big piece, like a big overarching theme, is I always thought my key outcome was to teach people communication. Okay, this is how you get rid of filler words, James. This is how you smile more. This is how you give eye contact. And that's true. And a lot of communication coaches still believe that. I actually don't think that's the key outcome. The most important outcome is to convince people that's worth their time and that they should even do it in the first place. So my keynotes drastically changed from, hey, guys, I'm going to share like five tips today versus I'm going to explain why every single person in this room right now isn't going to work on their communication. Right. So it's going to be it's a completely different lens. So I'm a lot more mindset, even if all of the practical tips are available on my channel, I share all of that for free. It's all there. I realized that the number one problem had nothing to do with tactics and had everything to do with religion. Like people were not implementing or being convinced that it was worth their time. Like, let's say business owners. I used to think, oh, like if business owners had the right tips and tricks. They could just win, and that wasn't true at all. What the problem is, they're not prioritizing it. Like they don't think communication is important, so they focus on sales, marketing, distribution, which is important. But they don't realize that their communication skills need to scale with their business. So you need to establish that burning platform first. Hmm, that's really interesting. So I have another one for you, which is I'm kind of intrigued. So, what do you? Is there something you know to be true, but the majority of people don't believe you? Uh, that's the Peter Thiel question. That's a tough one to it, answer. To. It was, wasn't it? It was, wasn't it? It was Peter Thiel. Yeah, that's Peter Thiel. I'd be original, you know. No, but it's it's so <laughs> yeah. tough. But but that's such a tough question for for most guests. I hope you're not throwing that on everybody. I can no, I'm not. I'm it. not actually. I'm not. But I just thought uh, it'd be. I thought you'd probably. Yeah. I mean, I got fifty answers to this question, but I would. I mean, like, have you? You got fifty. Well, I got rehearsed ones. We, we yeah. want the authentic one, right? I'll give you the PR one. I'll give you the a few one. PR the ones. one. The one. I mean, mine would be around communication. I genuinely think every human being on earth can be a great speaker. I honestly do. I just think the, the reason that isn't the case is because of the manual of communication hasn't been properly established yet. Like people who coach communication are all over the place. You got to do this, 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 instead of sequencing the knowledge in the right order of mastery mm. so that people can actually get the result. And, and the first step of that order is understanding why most of us are scared of communication. I don't, I don't think that's normal. Like I, I think people shouldn't be scared of communication. It doesn't make any sense to me. And I'll tell you why. The reason we're all scared of communication is because we've been taught it the wrong way. Like when you're in school, this is where we give most of our presentations, right? High school, elementary school, right? Whether you live in London, whether you live in Johannesburg in South Africa, whether you live in uh, Montreal, it's, you, start, you start there. But there's a problem, James, three problems. All those presentations are mandatory. You don't wake up one morning and say, what's up, James? Do you want to like get breakfast and present all day? Nobody says that. The second problem is all those presentations are different. So when you're a student juggling presentations, you're not just focused on one for the year. You're focused on like eight per semester. You got gym, you got sciences, you got math, you got English. You're like, why do I have a presentation in gym? It doesn't make any sense. So it's super stressful. And students are pushed into these situations where their goal is to survive, not do well in presentations. And then the third problem, all those presentations are tied to a punishment. So it's not, hey, James, what do you want to talk about? oh, it's okay if you don't do a good job. We're still going to clap for you. That's how the education system works. Is if you don't do a good job, you get punished for it. So yeah, is it normal that we're all scared shitless of communication? Obviously, if all the presentations are mandatory, all the presentations are different, and all of them are tied to a punishment, what other outcome could we expect? So yeah, that would be my answer to your question. Okay, interesting. So do you think person... Well, I I kind of... I I wonder whether personality also has... A pretty big play into this and, and um, I'll give you some context so um, I try to explain I've got a bit of ADHD thing going on um, actually I kind of use it to my advantage or I think I do um, but it's sometimes it's like 26 TVs going off in my head at the same time and you know which TV do I want to watch um, oh, and I know it's becoming I think it's becoming more and more common and actually my daughter who's 18 
is she, she also suffers a little bit from it. And, and she explained that um, if she was to visualize a book, clo- a closed book, it would keep opening. And if she was to visualize sheep jumping over a fence to try and get to sleep, you know, they'd be like scurrying underneath it. They'd be flying up to the moon on rockets. They were doing everything but jumping over the fence. Um, and it's really strange. So one-on-one, I'm reasonably good. But if I'm in a room, I get, I'm very distracted. Um, and, you know, a lot of it is focus um, and, pre- and pre- that preparation piece that you talked about when it comes to opportunity. I mean, I don't know, you, you know, what is it? Piss poor preparation equals piss poor performance. Um, but, um, but I just wondered, but my, my middle daughter, Penelope, who's more introverted, is she's still got an American accent um, and she, she's lived in the UK for, you know, half her life. So she's 16. So she's lived here for eight years. My eldest and my youngest sound English but Penelope is still very much American. Um, and my wife's still American, but my wife's older. So it's, it's less of a, a, a good example, but, um, you know, uh, but she'll, my middle one will stand up in a, you know, and kind of re narrate a play and be totally confident, totally focused. Um, it's just kind of, I, I just wonder whether the personality piece, you know, whether you're affected by the external environment or whether you're less affected because you can then have that laser focus. So I didn't know whether that you've ever come into that or whether that's just a rut story and just a big load of excuse because, you know, because I think you can learn everything. Well, you, you clearly um, have, have demonstrated this through your work. I mean, absolutely. Right. And I'm, I'm a good case study for this. I mean, look at me. I got a crooked left arm. I presented in a second language my whole life. I, have a, I had a cast for, mo- for my first two years of education. It was wow. really hard for me to make friends. Like, yeah, like, I definitely think if if, if I could do it, anyone can. In the context of your question, though, there's definitely different approaches to different personalities, but the Mm, rationale is the same. Because I've worked with all of them. Yeah. I think the only ones I've I've had challenge getting them results, but I still ended up getting them anyways, is people with speech impediments. And, and, and the speech impediment is not because of the speech impediment, it's because of their insecurity around the speech impediment. Those things are two different things, okay. right? So it's they feel, whereas if they feel confident, even if they do this and this and this, but they feel confident, nobody cares about the speech impediment as long as they don't. So the, and accents too, it's more of a mindset thing, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But, but obviously there's ways of correcting some of it. But what mm. I will say is the methodology for like 95% of them is the same. So let's say someone's really introverted. That's a common one. All you have to do is even if they present terrible, like even if it's garbage, you still just go, oh my God, like that was great. Especially if they're eight years old, right? Oh my God, that was great. And everyone, can we all clap for this person? And then she gets really excited. Then like by week three, she's like presenting like an extrovert. You just got to manage the psychology uh, well. And it's not hard. It's not rocket science yeah so okay so so where does your drive come from so obviously you just shared you've overcome a bit of adversity um just with you know physically um has that helped you um with your drive is it a natural do you do you think you're you've net always naturally been driven or do you feel that you've yeah so can you talk about your drive and, and maybe how your physical challenges have kind of helped you or or, or maybe or, or hindered you i mean I, I don't know the answer to that yeah Just for those out there that might be yeah that, that might be you know facing similar things or you know different challenges yeah yeah absolutely and, and to be honest i don't think my hand my my arm played a role in my drive but what did though was i grew up in a very dysfunctional household you know my dad was an alcoholic and it was mm. really difficult because we lived in the same house until he passed away. So okay, lots, lots of, oh, of course, so, all good. So there, lots, of, lots of challenges there for sure. And a lot of my initial drive came from just wanting to beat him to prove mm. that I could, that I could make, that I could make a name for myself. And it was that competition that really created that drive in me. But when I got to university or it, it that, that drive got manifested in different ways. So one was grades. I was an A plus student. And then when I got into case competitions, I wanted to excel in that thing too. But then after he, he left, right, after he was gone, I kind of just asked myself, well, where does the drive come from now? Because I'd won. Like, I, I got what I wanted. I had a six-figure mm-hmm. corporate job, a retired by mom. Like, it actually wasn't that hard to replace uh, 
to, to, to help the family out because, you know, people used, you know, my, my parents used to say all the time, oh my God, things are so expensive. Groceries are not that expensive. I think I realized that later in life. But, but, but yeah, I, I think for me, the drive evolved. It evolved from a desire for competition, a lot of anger, a lot of frustration to mm-hmm. how do I channel this, this drive to, to make an impact in the world. Because I realized a couple of things, James, but the biggest thing I realized is that there's only one enemy. Okay. And people don't understand this well. And it's not, it's not the dads of the world. It's not the, the person who's yelling at you during traffic. It's not the barista who's in a bad mood when serving you coffee. These are not your enemies. The number one enemy, the only enemy that matters is time. And it's the clock is ticking. And you don't know how long you have left. Whether you're frustrated, whether you're happy, whether you're sad, whether you're emotional, the time clock is still running out for you. And you don't know when it runs out. So once you realize that time is the only thing that really matters, it's the only thing you're fighting against, your whole frame of how to live life will change. And think of Elon. He takes this to the extreme, right? Because he literally says on a podcast very nonchalantly, he goes, oh, well, you know, this might be the only window to save humanity because who knows when we'll be able to become a multi-planetary species. What if that window closes in like 200 years? So I've got to make sure I get this done and we get to Mars before I die. It's like, like the guy's like thinking yeah. in a different, different realm. in a different, different time frame that most of us are. And that's what I think most of us should be doing. That's really interesting. I think um, just listening to you, I think um, how we respond to things in, you know, whether they're internal or external factors, is a big part of, um, you know, whether we're going to move forward or not. Um, and also, you know, if we are, if we do have challenges, whether they're physical or mental or whatever they are, um, you know, we can really leverage them as a, as a pillar of strength um, and just find a way to, um, to prevail. Um, Cause we either become victim and we, we, you know, go on a downward spiral or we say, you know what, this is me, this has happened to me, or this is it. Um, and how can I learn from this? Or how can I use this to my advantage? Um, and I think also setting the bar high enough where, you know, cause like you said, you got your VC, you got your six figure salary, you know, it's like, if that was your ultimate goal, then you achieve the goal. And then, then where do you go? So it's almost like, you know, you don't want to set yourself, you know, I mean, I guess it's, everyone's different, but you know, having a, a purpose, what is your, why have that internal conversation before you, you know, communicate or before you go, go after your goals, you know, what do you want? And like you said, you know, time is finite, time is precious. We don't know whether we've even got tomorrow. So we may as well make the most of it. So re- really good, interesting. Um, we've had a really, I've really, really enjoyed our discussion. So for, for our listeners out there, um, if you were to leave um, any advice um, to our listeners, your parting wisdom, um, what would that be? Absolutely, brother. Great conversation. So I would say first, congratulations for making it to the end of the episode. You know, you're, the people who are listening to this are clearly the people who are serious, who have spent 51 minutes with us or whatever the time is. And I would love to leave with this specific group of people my final words, which is this. Be insane or be the same. If you want to be like everyone else, that's totally fine. But if you want to do something special with your life, you need to realize that the people who do special things are special people. They're crazy. They're absolutely insane. I mean, don't you find it odd, James, that he started a YouTube channel at the age of 22, not on pranks, not on music videos, not on like dancing or rapping. I made YouTube videos on executive communication tips. And then I started coaching CEOs who were double my age and in some cases worked at their companies longer than I was alive. Yet, (laughs) I still live in my mother's basement. (laughs) <laughs> I don't really drive a car because I'm really scared to drive even have a license. I'm in the 0.5, not the 5, the 0.5% of top listeners on Spotify of Justin Bieber, and I can carry up different <laughs> languages. How does any of this make any sense at all? And that, my friend, is the point when every decision in your life makes sense to the only person that it should, which is you. You're probably making the right decisions. So be insane or be the same. That's fantastic. And you know, let's face it, guys, um, you know, if you do what everyone else does, you're going to get what everyone else has got. And for some people, that's fine. But, you know, do you want something a bit different? (laughs) That's brilliant. So, um, so Brendan, how how do people find you? So, yeah, how how do people find you that uh, want want to get in touch? Or, um, yeah, can you kind of give some uh, 
some social handles or you know how do they find you yeah this one they'll probably find me on mars with elon musk or something but (laughs) 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 so yeah man two two easy ways so the first one is master talk go on youtube type master talk in one word you'll have access to hundreds of free videos and the second way to stay in touch is for those who are interested in coaching come to one of my free trainings over zoom it's not a recorded webinar. It's live. It's fun. I'm coaching people for free on the call. And if you want to register for that, that's rockstarcommunicator.com. Fantastic. That's brilliant. And if, if you were to meet someone for coffee, I probably know the answer to this. Um, who would it be if you could meet anyone for coffee? I'm curious who, who you would think. I, I would actually meet Peter Thiel for coffee. Okay. Oh, like- interesting. I feel he'll be the hardest to get access to. I actually think it's not that hard to get access to Elon. He has a lot of mutual friends, all that stuff. Whereas Peter's a very secretive guy. He's very private. Not a lot of people know where he is, what he's doing. So I would ask him for his list of questions. For example, right? A couple of them that he says publicly is like, what what problem is nobody funding? Or what problem is nobody solving for? Uh, what what nonprofit is nobody starting? What company is nobody starting? What what truth do you believe in that most people disagree with you on? I'm sure he's got 75 other questions. I just want that list. That's all. Okay. I'm sure That's that list would be worth a million bucks. <laughs> ah, brilliant. And um, is there a book that you'd recommend to our listeners? And you mentioned one earlier um, that's maybe had the biggest impact to you, on you in the last five years. Yeah, I would say for me, my, my biggest book, I'll recommend one that I don't think a lot of people do, is Thirst by Scott Harrison. Scott's the CEO of Charity Water. He started a nonprofit mm. to help people gain access to clean water. But the reason I recommend Scott Harrison's book is because he's a practical example of someone who's applied a lot of the principles we share today around communication and storytelling to raise half a billion dollars for his charity. Like He's really smart. And I think what's interesting about his story is he did it in a system that is not incentive based. So what do I mean by that? Where because he's in a nonprofit, you're exchanging value for nothing except for hope and inspiration. So it's really tough to win in that business. And he's done a really good job in the nonprofit because the incentives are not aligned. It's not an equal exchange of value. Whereas if we can learn a lot of the principles that he's done, because he's built the Nike brand on a, on a shoestring budget, is imagine what we could do with our missions and with our, our dreams for our lives. That's why I highly recommend the book. It's really inspiring. And there's a quote I can leave you with. The quote is, the goal is not to live forever, but rather create something that will. And when Scott Harrison said that, it really got my, my ass fired up to, to take Mass Talk a lot more seriously. Fantastic. And who should we have on next? Who should we have on next? I mean, I, I wish I had an intro for you, but probably Scott Harrison. I think he'd be great. <laughs> or Peter <Tino. laughs> Do you know him? No, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Soon. Soon. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. Excellent. Well, great to have you on board. Or well, yeah, great to have you on the show. I meant to say, Brendan, I think I need some work on my communication skills. <laughs> Brilliant. Take care. You too, bro. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Rocket Pod. When you get a moment, we'd love it if you could jump over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify and leave a quick review. We love all your messages. It helps us get exposure to inspire and share more stories like this one with you, our listeners, and of course, guide us to make sure that the content and the people that we interview, our guests are kind of on point with what you want. Really fun conversation with Brendan. Boy, we covered lots of topics. One thing resonated with me, as obviously as well as you know, communication can get you anywhere in life, is you know be prepared for opportunity because if you're prepared you can really strike when opportunity strikes um, and take the ball by two horns quick thank you to our sponsors uh, flexi.shop that's f-l-e-x-y dot shop a single destination for products delivered by independent british brands and we're obviously uh, only available in the uk at the moment and also maria work that's m-r-i-a work.com um, Maria Work is a job board dedicated to displaced people and matching them with employment. With the Ukraine crisis going on, we have, um, you know, we, we we have a focus there, but we, you know, we will help other folks uh, find employment. Have an amazing week, and we'll see you next time. Take care.